Well, good morning to those of you who have survived daylight savings time once again. Aren't you thankful for a phone that just does it automatically now so you don't have to remember or forget? It always still makes me giggle though, because I promise you after the 11.15 service, about 12.15, there's going to be a group of people wandering into the building going, why is everybody leaving? What did Grant say? that so offended them that they all wanted to go home. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. Glad that you're here today. Uh, I want to also welcome those of you that are joining us online. Our online uh, audience continues to grow almost every single week, and we're really excited about that reach and that extended. So if you're watching at home or wherever you are, we're glad that you're here. Pastor Todd talked a little bit about the missions offering, and I do want to just bring that to your attention one more time. We have a dream as a church of planting 250 churches in Thailand. Now, when we say the word house church, we're not talking four to six people. We're talking 40 to 60 people meeting uh, behind a bike shop or, or in someone's actually uh, actual home. And uh, if you didn't have an opportunity to hear last week when we got back from our around the world trip, I'd encourage you to go back and just take a look at that online. We have a really big dream this year, but we have an even bigger God. And because of the generosity of a person that I've never even met before, so a person from Oregon who so believes in what's happening in Thailand that they said, if it costs $600 to actually put a church in Thailand, I'll do the first 300 and match whatever Christ the King is going to do. Because of that person's generosity, we can actually plant a church in Thailand for $300. Now, the reality is this. Uh, Some of us can do a whole church, some of us can do part of a church, and let's be honest, some of us in this room could do 10 churches and not even blink. Every single one of us has the opportunity to be a part of a new movement that's happening in Thailand. I believe that our church has been blessed in order to be a blessing, and this is just our response to the the, the commission that comes in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where God talks about the uttermost parts of the earth. We're going to be his witnesses. And so I'm going to encourage you to be thinking about that. Use that little blue envelope. And together, uh, let's help a revival that's already starting in Thailand to continue to grow. Last week, I talked about our trip around the world and still recovering to a certain degree. But there was one section of the trip when we were in the city of Catania on the island of Sicily, inside of a little church that's doing incredible things, helping people that are uh, refugees and immigrants. One of the things that you notice when you get to Catania is that that part of the crisis that's happening in the world with refugees and immigrants is actually right in your face. You can't get away from it. In fact, that little church is responding because there are people coming from Northern Africa that are being told we're going to take you to, uh, to Europe so you can have a brand new start. And they basically have to pay everything that they have. And, and, and so they come, you know, and, and they're shipped into Europe, but what they don't realize is they're being dropped off, not in Italy, but they're being dropped off on an island called Sicily, and there's no way for them to get off. So they're open to exploitation. They're open to human trafficking. They're open to a black market that actually traffics in body parts. And I know that's difficult for us to wrap our heads around, but that's what this little church is facing on the island of Sicily. 
And we had an opportunity to be there with Pastor Francesco and his wife Melita and his team. We had a fantastic uh, a series of meetings to be able to just go and encourage them and love them. And so we arrived for church one evening and worship was getting ready to begin. And I go through a bit, I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm a little OCD with certain things. And so I have this, this thing that I go through, which is I have to have my iPad in the right place and I have to have my Bible in the right place in order to be able to, to feel normal. And if you also haven't noticed, I I have an attraction to my iPad. I kind of stick fairly close to it. uh, It used to be that my iPad told me what I was going to say. As I'm getting older, it tells me and reminds me what I already have said, and it keeps me from repeating the same story multiple times in different services because I just forgot where I was, okay? So it becomes a bit of an anchor. So I get a little too attached to it at times and, and do my best to try and stay free of it. But when you're working in another context through a translator, your notes become very, very important because you have to break everything into these into single phrases. And then the translator has to jump in. And so I take my iPad out and my Bible and I put it on a music speaker that was right beside me up at the front. And then we go into a time of worship, which was absolutely beautiful because they sing many of the same songs that we do. They just sing them in Italian. Our team is singing in English. And then as they prepare to open the time when I'm going to actually go up and speak to them, I look down at the speaker and my Bible's there, but the iPad's gone. I don't have anything else written down. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, that's not good. So I freak out just a little, just a little. And I grab my, I grab my knapsack, my bag, and I go through the bag and the iPad's not there. And I kind of look around, I'm looking at the band, even though none of them are, can speak English with me. I'm kind of looking like, did you see my iPad? And I'm getting blank stares back and nobody knows where it is. And I look around the speaker and there's nothing there. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out just, so I mention it to Laurel and my iPad's gone and she just remains perfectly calm because that's what Laurel does. And so I'm freaking out, Laurel's calm. And, um, And there's thoughts that begin to roll through my head. My first thought is, someone stole my iPad in church. And that's bad because there's a commandment about that, right? Thou shalt not steal, especially in church. You're not supposed to do that. And then my brain kept rolling. Why would someone do that to me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? What am I going to do? I need my security blanket. And then the truth of it really comes out. I'm going to look like an idiot. Isn't it funny how the word I ends up in the center of most of our conversations with God? So I had no choice. So I just got up and preached. No notes. Strangest thing happened. Jesus actually showed up. It was weird. And you'd think I'd learned that after 30 years of walking with him. But after the service was over, I'm still a little bugged by the fact somebody stole my iPad in church. And then the truth came out. The vibration of the speaker actually caused my iPad to slide off of my Bible, down the wall, and into a small pocket behind a heating system that was built into the church. It was just so far back in there that I couldn't see it, and it took a friend to actually come over and look around a little bit more than I was able to look at before the service in order to be able to find it. So here was the truth. There was no thief. I was not a victim, and the truth was right there in front of me the whole time. I just didn't look hard enough. Sometimes the truth is right there in front of you, but we just don't look hard enough. 
So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about a truth that's been in front of all of us ever since Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at the fact that our Bible says that God created us in His image. That I have the image of God stamped on my heart and that my whole life is not about how I look or how people are going to perceive me, but instead... We're going to talk about the fact that the image of God is supposed to be reflected through me to every person that I meet. So I wrote it this way in your outline. Here's the truth about me, the truth about you, the truth about us, all the way back from Genesis chapter 2. I was created in the image of God, uniquely and intentionally for the purpose of glorifying Jesus in everything I do. The fingerprints of God are on my soul. Now we hear that and we go, okay. So church, have a little thing for you. Not going to be cheesy. We're just going to do it together. I'd love you to take your outline or to look at that particular phrase. And we're actually going to say that out loud. Whether we believe it or not, whether we're convicted in our spirit that that's actually true, whether we've had any experience with it, we're just going to make a declaration today. And then we're going to work off of that declaration. Okay? So, this is crowd participation. You can do it. Just, you're going to just read this with me. And then we're going to let it do an 18-inch drop from our brain into our heart. Okay? Would you read it with me? Let's start with I was created. Here we go. Say it together. I was created in the image of God, uniquely and intentionally, for the purpose of glorifying Jesus in everything I do. The fingerprints of God are on my soul. And it's easy to say amen to that. Easy to say yes to that. I'm an image bearer of God. We can say that even with conviction until we look into a mirror. I think after the age of 50, all mirrors should be banned. I'm just saying, because there are times when I just don't like what's looking back at me. And and I'm I'm not talking about the physical reflection. Sometimes I just don't like the truth of what's looking back at me when I look in a mirror. Some of you are just like, Grant, I don't understand what you're talking about. I have no problem looking in a mirror at all. We have classes for you at Christ the King Community Church, and we would encourage you to take some of those at some point. Because I'm not talking about people struggling with the physical reflection. I'm talking about what's behind the eyes, and what's behind the lines, and what's behind the face, and behind the front, and behind the veneer, and what's buried behind that smile that we stick on every single day. I want to talk about what's behind the the, the self-talk that you have to go through that sounds something like, I like me, I'm special, I can do whatever I want to do, I'm a promise, I'm a possibility, I'm a promise with a capital P. I want to talk about what's behind that quiet feeling in your heart when you look at yourself in the mirror and ask the question, is this it? For the sake of the series, I'd like to submit just a simple consideration to you. Could it be that even though you know the truth about the identity that God gave you, could it be that at some point along the line, Satan himself stole a piece of the identity that God gave you and you've never been able to get it back? 
I think we've all been victims of spiritual identity theft to varying degrees. And I actually think I can prove it to you. I think I can prove that every single one of us has been a victim of spiritual identity theft. I put it in your outline this way. Somewhere along the line, a part of me was stolen. And here is the proof. The proof is God offered me something and I settled for something else. Now, when I say I, I mean we. And when I say we, I mean humanity or culture. And I believe that the proof of a broken identity is that we've been offered something beautiful, amazing, and perfect, and pure by God, but instead we settled for a cheap substitute. I framed it this way in your outline, using the phrases, even though I was starving for this, I settled for this. Let me unpack it for you. Starving for God, and I believe that every single one of us has, has a God-shaped vacuum in our heart that desperately desires to connect with God himself. And even though we're starving for God, I fed that hunger with autonomy. I wanted to govern myself. I want to run my own life. I don't want anyone to rule and reign over top of me, even though God offers that to me as a beautiful gift. But instead, I settle for autonomy. Romans chapter 1. The Bible says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. A few verses later, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and they created and served created things. And even though God offers me the opportunity to be underneath of his regency and to follow him as a king who who wants nothing but the best for his children, instead, I settle for statements like, I can and will do this on my own. You are not the boss of me. So if you're here today and you're anything like me, and you're chasing this elusive peace through stuff and through things, I would like to submit to you somewhere along the line, something got stolen. Secondly, starving for intimacy. God offers me a beautiful intimacy, both in in a heavenly relationship with him and in in, in substantive earthly relationships here, but starving for intimacy, I settled for sex. I turned it into a physical thing. God offered a beautiful intimacy, only found between a committed husband and a wife, but instead, We settled for flings and adultery and Ashley Madison websites and porn and one night stands and excuses that somehow we know how to handle sexual freedom and expression better than the God who invented it. And I would submit to you, if you've ever been caught in that in any way, I'd like to submit to you, some got stolen. Thirdly, starving for community. Every single one of us was actually created for community, but I don't want to do that because it's just a little bit too messy, so instead I settle for independence. Even though God said in Hebrews 10, Galatians 6, and Romans 12, even though God said, bear one another's burdens, offer hospitality, don't give up meeting with each other, even though I hear that and I know that to be true, I just choose to do life alone. I can do this by myself. Even though there's something inside of me that hungers for community. Pastor Todd mentioned something to me last week. I went and checked it out. It's an interesting fact. The fastest growing segment of the entertainment industry right now among millennials. Any guesses? Board games. Board games. 
Monopoly, Settlers of Catan, Risk. Young people are coming back together again because they actually want to have a conversation. They actually want to connect with other people and they're doing it over top of a board game. Something that, that, that the older generation, we seem to abandon a long, long time ago. Isn't that interesting? I would submit to you that even though we have a hunger for community, when we settle for isolation, some of them were along the line, something got stolen. How about this one? Starving for purpose. We all want to matter. We all want purpose, but instead we, we settle for status. I'm mean, starving to know why God put me here, but my conclusion has to be I'm here to acquire stuff and climb up the corporate ladder. And I completely ignore the fact that God said in his word, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do God good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I choose to ignore the joy of serving and I exchange it to spend my whole life chasing an office nameplate. God offers me purpose, but instead I choose possessions and position. And I would submit to you, if you're at a point in your life where you're looking in the mirror and it just seems unbelievably empty, I would submit to you somewhere along the line something got stolen. How about this one, starving for significance? We all want to be significant. We all want to matter, but instead I settle for popularity. I want to be liked so badly that my identity is hooked up in the number of, of likes or followers I have on Facebook or social media. That's what matters to me, and my whole world falls apart when that number starts going in a negative direction. I mean, that doesn't just happen in middle school and high school. It's universal. And we want to matter so badly, but we completely ignore when God speaks up in Isaiah 43 and he says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. I will be with you. I'm the Lord in the fire and in the flood. And as long as you remember that I'm God and you're not, this is going to go so unbelievably well. But we exchange that and being popular with people becomes more important to us than being popular with God. I would submit to you, if, if you are fixated on your social media presence, somewhere along the line, something got stolen. A couple more, starving for the pure, true worship of God. Even though God offers that to us, there's a hunger inside of us to want to worship the God of creation, but instead we settle for, for self-focus. Given the opportunity to worship the God of everything, I still choose to put myself in the center of my own universe. And that's why I find myself saying, I care about my week, my time, my job, my reputation, my need for acceptance, my selfishness, my life, my future, my car, my likes, my dislikes, my social media presence, my plan, my world, my, 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 my. And I would submit to you, somewhere along the line, something got stolen. Let's wrap it up with one more. Starving for contentment, because we all want that. I want to be content so bad. But instead, I settle for a quiet discontent. 
There's this quiet unrest that broods in my soul, a ripple of discontent that says, is this really all there is? And I've learned over the years, money doesn't make it go away and status doesn't matter. And I'm haunted by the words out of 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I love that because every one of us struggles to be content every single day. And then we read a couple of verses and it says, for we brought nothing into the world and you get to take nothing out of it, even though I've convinced myself there has got to be a way to hook a U-Haul to a hearse. There has to be. I would submit, if, if you find yourself being honest and, and being honest and bold enough to be able to say somewhere along the line, yeah, I did, I, I settled. I would submit to you that you're no different than anybody else in the room. We've all become a victim of spiritual identity theft because we don't really know who we are. I would also submit to you somewhere along the line, something got stolen. But I would also submit to you what has been stolen can be taken back. Amen. And that that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Scripture's pretty clear that this actually happened. Jesus is talking to a group of religious people known as Pharisees. He says, you're actually living proof of what I'm talking about here because you could have had relationship. That's what God offered you. But instead, you settled for religion. You, you turned the relationship into a series of checkboxes, a series of actions. And it's kind of a pass-fail thing with God when you're a religious type of a person. And, and Jesus is actually speaking to these religious people. And here's what happens in John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. But the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I didn't include verse 11 there because I wanted to be able to say it to you out loud. This is when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That verse is so unbelievably relevant as we face Good Friday and Easter. Just so we're crystal clear. Crystal clear. In John chapter 10 verses 1 through 10, the good shepherd is Jesus. And that statement, good shepherd, was absolutely scandalous considering the audience that Jesus was facing. Because in this particular time of history, shepherds were the dregs of society. According to Old Testament law, they couldn't even testify in court because everyone just assumed they were lying. So here's Jesus stirring the pot with a group of religious people, aligning himself with the marginalized and the outcasts to show the religious people, you actually think you have your identity figured out but something got stolen. 
Something got stolen. The good shepherd is Jesus. I didn't put it in your outline, but I think it's worth mentioning. The gatekeeper is not us. But boy, we like to be, don't we? Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's going to stay inside with all the people that look like me and act like me and talk like me, and I'm going to be in charge of this gate, and I'm going to decide who gets in and who gets out. I'm going to determine whether or not it has to do with church attendance or recycling or anything else, maybe football team of choice, who gets in and who gets out, because I like to be in charge of that gate. For the record, God himself is the gatekeeper. Well, if God's the gatekeeper and Jesus is the good shepherd, I think it's pretty clear who the thief is. The thief is Satan himself. And I want to tell you something. He stole something from you and that should tick you off. That should make you angry. I'm amazed at how numb I can become to the fact that somewhere along the line, the devil stole something from me and it's caused the people that I love unbelievable pain. It bothers me that I've never really gotten angry about that before, but that's changing. And so I'm going to give you permission to have a bit of a temper tantrum for the next couple of weeks. I want a righteous anger to boil up inside of you that says you may have stolen something from me in the past, but you don't get to keep doing it because I'm going to take back my identity. The fingerprints of God are on my soul and now you've got my attention and I'm angry. We should be angry because the objective of the thief is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the verse says. He wants to steal your joy, steal your peace, kill your family, destroy your purpose, rip off your love, kill your intimacy, steal your identity, and rob from you a right understanding of God. You know what the enemy wants today? He just wants you to be a nice Christian and settle. I don't think so. I don't think that's what God wants. So the target of the thief is your true spiritual identity. He doesn't want you to figure that out. He doesn't want you to live to the level of whom God has called you to. He doesn't want you to live fully and completely in your true identity. He just wants you to settle. The devil himself will stop at nothing to get what rightfully has been given to you by your Father in heaven. And the truth is this, I will remind you again. I, we, were created in the image of God uniquely and intentionally for the purpose of glorifying Jesus in everything that I and we do and the fingerprints of God are on our soul. Now the fact that you've been targeted should freak you out just a little, but I also want to point you to a promise that comes from the good shepherd himself. He said, I've come to bring you a new life. And God is the God of exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or even imagine. And he wants you to be able to look into a mirror and not see the flaws and the defects. He wants you to be able to look into a mirror and not see you. He actually wants you to be able to see him. Because he must increase and we must decrease. And we have to develop that family resemblance so that when we look into the mirror, we don't see a failure every single time. So even though I know there will be backlash, let's just expose the devil once and for all and the demonic lie that many of us have been living under our entire lives. Here's the lie of the thief. You are uniquely and eternally broken. You have no purpose. 
you will never get it right because the fingerprints of failure are on your soul. I want to remind you of something. The devil's a liar. He's the liar. That's not true. But so many of us can play that tape in our mind over and over and over again. So if nothing else this morning, I want to give you an alert. I want your spiritual life lock to start flashing on your computer. Saying someone is after your identity. Now I know this is not fun work to do. I know what it feels like to go home, go to the mail, open up the mail, and there's a letter from your credit card company. And you open it up, and these are the words that it says. Due to a possible threat, we've had to change your account numbers for your own protection. And you get ticked off because you know all the work it's going to take to reset all of that. E-banking and e-commerce and all the stuff you do online, if that's actually what you do. I mean, you've got to start from scratch, and it's unbelievably painful. And you can, you, you can choose to either enter in and do the hard work, or you can just ignore the fact that you're getting ripped off and take your chances. I would encourage you, for all of us in the room, we're going to put on our big people pants for the next couple of weeks, and we're not going to ignore the fact that our identity is getting ripped off, and we're going to press in, and we're going to do the hard work to reset the passwords that God imprinted on our soul. So here's the work we're going to do. In order to protect our identity in Christ, we're going to start with detect. Let me just ask a few questions. Can we admit that we've had a part of our identity stolen? Do we have the courage to go there? Can we purpose in our heart to identify what part is missing? Can we get there today? Can we look back at the proof and be honest that in some or all of those areas, somewhere along the line, I settled, something got stolen, but that I'm not going to settle anymore and I'm going to choose to take back the identity that God gave me. I know I don't live like it all the time, but in God's kingdom, I'm a prince. Now, I know that some freaks some of you out. You're just like, oh, Grant. Mm. I know. I am a son of the Most High God. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. And when my, not, when my name gets brought up in heaven, Jesus doesn't look at the ground and go, yeah, jeez, cool. That guy, that guy's a piece of work right there. Sorry, God, did my best to try and cover all of his garbage, just can't quite get a cape big enough to cover that. That fish book guy, that guy is, he's flawed. That is not what happens. Doesn't happen with me and doesn't happen with you, even though the enemy convinces us that that's what happens. Ladies, you are daughters of the king of heaven. Worthy of honor, respect. My brothers, you are sons of the most high God. The enemy will stop at nothing to convince us otherwise, but that's the truth. Wrap your head around it. Let's see if we can get it to drop 18 inches into here. We're going to detect. Secondly, we're going to protect. I mean, what do we need to do to take back what's been stolen? Maybe we just need to start with a moment of honesty. Can we move to righteous indignation and take back through the strength of Jesus what's disappeared while we were out doing our own thing and settling? Thirdly, we're going to resolve. 
We're going to resolve our true identity with the counterfeit that we settled for. I'm going to lay out for you over the next couple of weeks who God says you are. And it will be challenging for you to accept it because we all know the disconnect and the dissonance between who we claim to be and who we actually are. But we're going to put those two things together. And finally, we're going to look at what it means to actually get reimbursed for what got ripped off. We're going to ask ourselves the question, can this really only come from Jesus? Can we rely on the same Jesus who stormed the gates of hell to set captives free? Can we see him as our only hope and that he truly is the key to our true identity in Christ? And when it seems very discouraging and we seem to be going backwards more than we're moving ahead, we're going to remember a promise that the Holy Spirit of God superintended the Apostle Paul to write. Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Which simply means this, I may have bought the lie before, but I'm not going to buy the lie anymore. I may have settled before, but I'm not settling anymore. I may have heard about my true identity in Christ, but I'm actually going to absorb that into my soul. I'm going to believe what God says is true about me. I'm also going to believe God is going to finish what he started, that he can put the pieces back together, that once and for all, God is going to deal with the thief in my life, and I'm going to simply be available as God removes the shackles, restores my identity, and sets me free one more time. So we're going to take a moment right now. And everything that we've heard, I'm just, I'm just going to pray that God does something with it. Maybe you need to go down the lines of where it's settled and you just need to gently put your finger on an area that you know you settled in. An area where the enemy stole your identity, identified you as a failure, and you've never been able to get over it. Maybe you just need to rest your finger there and say to yourself, I'm a child of the Most High God. I was created uniquely and intentionally to do good works. To represent Jesus, the fingerprints of God are on my soul. I may have failed in that area in the past. But now I'm going to be honest and ask God to finish what he started in me. Maybe you need to go down the left-hand side of that column and say, God, give me a hunger again. I've tried to satisfy the hunger with all this other stuff. God, would you please satisfy my hunger and quench my thirst for you today? Maybe you just need to read that first little section, the truth about you in Genesis chapter two. Maybe you need to take a couple of minutes and just say it to yourself and then ask God to make it real. Let's take a moment of just silent prayer. Let's reflect, let's think, let's process, let's open our heart and say, okay, God, whatever work you wanna do, in my foggy daylight savings time brain, Just do whatever it is that you need to do inside of me right now. Would you pray with me?
Father God, help us to believe that what you say about us is true. And that what Satan says about us is a lie. God, I'm praying over the next number of weeks as we head towards Good Friday and Easter that we would align ourselves with you and your truth. God, would you boil up a righteous anger inside of us that says, I'm not going to settle anymore. I'm not going to live my life believing a lie. So God, as we've been alerted to identity theft this morning, I pray that you would teach us to believe that what you say about us is nothing but pure truth. And God, may we live with that new identity. May we thrive with that new identity. And God, however many layers of that old veneer that you have to strip off of us, God, take us back to that raw soul work. When you proclaimed over us at the beginning of the book, you were created in the image of God uniquely and intentionally for the purpose of glorifying Jesus in everything you do. God, remind us again this week that the fingerprints of God are on our soul. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.